being a teacher for a long time, basically I realised that kids always end up like their parents. That was the worst thing I could think of for my little boy who was two years old at the time. I suddenly hit me that, oh shit, he's going to end up like me. Fuck. <laughs> I thought that no matter what I do here, my little boy is going to end up a fat, depressed man. I just did an Instagram post a few days ago actually because we had a little birthday party for my wife. I was just talking with my son about what I was going to wear and I just got out and tried on some clothes and I said, I think I'll wear this, what do you reckon? He said, I want to wear that too. I'm like, okay, cool. So he wore the same jacket, shirt and pants that I did and then it only hit me the following day that a couple of years ago I was terrified that my boy would end up like me. Now. If he ends up like me, I'll think, well, good for you. I'm pretty happy with how my life is and I'm pretty happy with who I am as a person and I don't want him to grow up and be exactly me, but if he can grow up and feel about himself the way I feel about myself, then that'd be great. That is Andrew Taylor, the man behind spudfit.com. And this is episode 266 of the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is episode 266 of the show with Andrew Taylor. You can find him on Instagram. His uh, tag there is spudfit, S-P-U-D-F-I-T. He's also at spudfit.com. His story of uh, overcoming food addiction, it's one that will leave you, well, certainly for me, thinking about how much control you actually have over your life, your circumstances. And yeah, more about Andrew in a moment. It's a good chat. If you're new, welcome. Welcome to the show. Glad you're here. What is this podcast? Well, this podcast, look, it's just a conversation. It's a conversation you get to be a part of, a conversation specifically created to hopefully help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. Now, sometimes uh, I'll have a chat with someone that you know. Sometimes I'll have a chat with someone you don't know. No matter what, though, I guarantee that you're going to hear something in the next hour and a bit that'll help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. That's that's the deal, all right? Um that's what I'm here to do. Who am I? I am the a, a book writing, podcast making, TV hosting, jet lag having, own bed worshipping, coffee drinking, husband being, bike riding, kettlebell swinging, bedtime falling asleep while reading and dog walking kind of guy called Osher Ginsberg and this is my show. Thank you for being here. Uh, there's heaps more episodes. If you are interested, you can uh, scroll back through your podcast feed and just explore uh, you can also find them uh, at osherginsberg.com. We're on Spotify as well if you want to find us there. It's good to be back. It's good to be home. Um, me and the family have been on holidays for, for a little while. It was nice to check in with you while we were away. Uh, yet we're back for 2019 with some new episodes and big things afoot for the podcast in the, in the next coming year. It's exciting times. Exciting times. I'm excited about it. Um, it was pretty great to get away with the family, have a bit of a break. Lots of schlepping around from place to place, but we were... We were only gone for a little over two weeks, but it felt like a month. We had four location changes in 15 days. <laughs> so it yeah, was pretty good. It was pretty good. It's a good sign of a good holiday when you're kind of ready to go home. And we were. We were. I highly recommend travel. I think it's brilliant. I didn't do it for many years. I didn't do it till quite late. I was 24 before I traveled. Wish I'd done it earlier um, because my life changed 
when I got back off that plane, got back to Brisbane, looked around and went, oh, shit, I'm out of here. Um, but that was Brisbane 1998, Brisbane, not Brisbane now. But still, uh, it's super important to go travelling. Um, to quote St. Augustine, the one you've heard before, the world is a book and those who do not travel read only a page. It's super important to go and look at the world. So have a look, even if it's just to go and stand on a foreign shore and look back and you can see the differences when you're further away. Um, in your own country. We spent the, our holiday in the, the United States, mostly in California, uh, last part of it in Hawaii. Got to say, I was thrilled to get back on Australian soil, even though I did live in America for a long time. I'm sure, look, we do have a prime minister that con- considers climate change nonsense and might be more aligned to a pretend friend in the sky than the actual people who live on the ground. But um, we have peace in Australia. We have clean water. We have no guns on the street and at least some degree of civility in our parliament, even if it is a little entertaining sometimes. Um, the day we left U- the USA, the the TSA, the Transport Security Administration, the people who are charged with protecting America's air travel, they were forced back to work without pay. Now, I'm no expert, but I'm going to guess that's not a great political situation to be in for any country. Now, I don't know how well it's going to play out over time, but um, getting back to Australia to see all the things that we do have versus all the things we don't made me very grateful, very, very grateful once again that I, I get to call Australia home. And I've been trying to hard, quite hard to focus on that in the last few weeks. As, as much as the enormity of the challenges that face us as a species can overwhelm me when I wake up at five in the morning, f- focusing on what we do have versus what we don't can certainly help me with the crushing anxiety that has been, that's been tickling me awake a little bit in the mornings this last kind of five or six days. I'm not going to lie to you. Bit of a hello, g'day, welcome, world's ending. Five in the morning. It's like, what? I'm still asleep. Go away. Um, this feeling is helped in, in no small part by um, the book I've been reading, recommended to me by uh, a dear friend and podcast guest, Ruben Meerman. He told me to read a book called um, Enlightenment Now. It's a book by a guy called Stephen Pinker. It's a follow-up to his book, the, his very weighty tome, The Better Angels of Our Nature. It's a great book. I recommend it highly, mainly because uh, while it's obvious and probably normal to get overwhelmed about negative issues facing our society and our planet, things that are on the news all the time, Violence, climate change, the housing market, you know, rampaging toxic masculinity. The way that Stephen Pinker breaks it down in his book, the way he expresses kind of like cold, hard numbers, facts about life expectancy, infant mortality, disease eradication, crop yields versus the land required to grow them, extreme poverty, education, economic outcomes, and yes, even climate change. The way he shows and describes the incredible advances we as a planet have leapt forward with, not only in the last 100 years, but in the last 50 years, even in the last 30 years. Once you look at the figures, it's, it's hard not to ignore that we as a race of people have done incredibly well, continue to do incredibly well, and continue to show that when faced with a threat that will impede our well-being, to describe it in one way, while we might wait a little longer than we probably should to take action, when we always do act, we always have acted, and when we do, the issue just vanishes into the dust of history to be looked back upon like, I can't even believe we even used to do that. I mean, like, look at smoking around children, letting women vote, recognising Aboriginal Australians as actual people. That's just three things. And there's people in your life and my life that were alive for at least two out of three of those. And that's in people's lifetimes that we know. So 
while the availability of incredibly negative news can certainly cloud our understanding of what's actually happening, it's important to remember that the overwhelming positive change that's happened just in our own lifetimes and then to kind of, I guess, reasonably expect that trend to continue in one form or another. Um, well, anyway, that's what I try to remember when my prefrontal cortex wakes up about half an hour after my limbic system has jolted me from my slumber. Just got to breathe through that first half hour and go, yep, this is just a feeling in my body. It's not a fact. Yes, yes, and a feeling in my body. It's not a fact. That's it. Just got to remember that stuff. A massive hello to everybody on the Facebook group. All the newcomers on the Facebook group, good to have you. Osha.is slash FB group is where you can find us. Nearly 2,000 people there. That's fantastic. Just superb. It's a great community of people giving care and support to each other, which is really lovely to see. Um, I'm, like I said, back from holidays, back into routine, which I'm very, very happy about. And part of that routine, playing my guitar and singing every day because we have a show to get ready for. Yes, we do. February 8th at the Powerhouse in Brisbane. It's the next gig of the live show, the live show based upon the book. It's our biggest theatre yet, a little under 500 seats. I think it's 485 or 480 or something. Um, we're about 40 tickets away from a sellout. So if you're anywhere near Brisbane, the Sunshine Coast, the Gold Coast, Toowoomba, Ipswich, whatever, come over. Come and say hi. There's still some good seats around too. The, I had a look at the seat map the other day. You know, there's still, if you want to come sit in the front row, get up close and personal, I'll come sit on your lap. <laughs> come along. Tickets are available at osherginsburg.com. Uh, at this point, it is the last time we are doing the show. We might go all Farnham on you and just Farnham the shit out of this and do it again if a promoter comes our way and offers up a, a string of dates too good to say no to. But at this point, this is it. It's our last chance to dance together. I sure hope you can make it. It's been a very special night for everyone in Sydney and Melbourne when we've done it there, and I can't wait to do it in my hometown of Brisbane. February 8th at the Powerhouse Certainly hope you can get there. If you do need anything through the week, you can always email me, send us your email at gmail.com. Please keep your podsy pictures coming in. That is a photo of what you're looking at right at this very moment. If you're, you're probably listening to this on a phone. So shoot me a picture of what you're doing, please. Whatever you're doing right now, unless you're driving, don't do that. But it's always a kick to see where you listen and how you listen. Plenty of excellent beach and bush listening this week as people take their annual holidays around the country. What do you do when you listen? I'd love to know. A great one from a lab the other day. Great one. Um, I, I got to make a dad joke on Instagram. My podcast has just gone viral because there was a pipette and lots of kind of test tubes and things. Um, email me, send us your email at gmail.com or just tag me in the photo on Instagram. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. So, let me tell you about my guest today. 
Andrew Taylor made headlines around the world a few years ago when, in seeking to battle food addiction and depression, he lost over 50 kilograms by eating nothing but potatoes for over a whole year. It's a simple headline. However, his story goes much deeper than that. Speaking to Andrew, I learned that even though in my case, my thing was alcohol, our stories were very, very similar. And the abstinence model was what eventually worked for us both. During our conversation, I heard many parallels with my own life, my own relationship to food, and indeed what I use food for beyond just sustaining my body to live again another day. I should say up front that the way Andrew tackled his food addiction is what worked for him. Uh, there are other ways to deal with this issue. You could probably go talk to your GP about it. Um, you might want to go to Overeaters Anonymous. I know a few people that's worked for very, very, very well. Um, but it's up to you. Recognizing it is the first step in all of these things. On the whole, I absolutely love this conversation. It's a perfect example of someone who saw what effect their own habitual actions was having on his life, saw the effect it was having on his family, saw where he was going to end up if he didn't do something about it, and took action. Took action by creating a system of behavior that was simple to follow, and if practiced daily, gave him spectacular results. Andrew's a great bloke. I'm stoked that he took the time to fly up to see us. If you like what you hear, support him on Instagram, SpudFit, and uh, you can also find out more about him and, and what he can uh, teach you, spudfit.com. And enjoy this conversation with Andrew Taylor. Thanks for coming up, right. man. Thanks for having me. This is uh, it's cool. Yeah. Right. yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm stoked that you're, you're here because you, uh, you know my buddy Rich. I do, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was, uh, well... And that was the first time I really uh, got to know you was on his podcast as well. Oh, all, really? All those years back. Yeah. 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 So, yeah we, I, I went to LA to speak at a nutrition uh, conference when I was doing Only Potatoes for a while. And um, yeah, I happened to meet him and go on his podcast as well and since become friends. So Yeah. Yeah. He's a lo so, lovely, lovely man. Oh, one of the one of the best folks yeah. ever, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really, <laughs> I'm really lucky to have, to have met him and... Um, been privileged enough to like go on rides with him and, and go, yeah yeah you know, cool yeah I was I was uh I was lucky to yeah be able to spend some time with him when he came to Australia last yeah. year as well and yeah. uh, do a couple of talking gigs with him and, oh yeah oh fun yeah. yeah that was good fun 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 <laughs> well look, mate I'm, yeah. I'm glad you're here you've come up from Melbourne was Melbourne always home yeah yeah I, I grew up uh in Langwarren which is sort of at the base of the Mornington Peninsula uh, near Frankston, most people seem to know Frankston. It's got a it's got a bad rep, but you know it's not yeah. that bad a place. But, what's yeah. that for people who aren't from from there? What what's growing up there look like? Oh, nothing nothing really special. I played a lot of footy. Um, you know, it was when I when I first moved to Langwarren, it was sort of a country town, dirt roads everywhere, and now it's just a, a big suburb really. But yeah. Um, yeah, I played footy and just went to a local government school, and uh, you know nothing, nothing unusual. But uh, we're talking to, for folks who are out of the country, Australian rules football, which is the the really weird one that no one from outside of this place knows how it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty it's much impossible to explain. Too to many goalposts, <laughs> so many yeah, guys yeah. everywhere. Yeah, yeah, you can you can hit from any direction. There's no offside. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty, yeah. pretty much, yeah, but yeah. You're, you're not a small man. So, no. how early were you a, like exceptional that sort of thing, or were you... uh, I was I was a reasonable footballer. I was not like anyone who was ever going to uh, you know play professionally or anything. But yeah. I, was a, I was a good local footballer. I played some senior football just for my local suburb as well, and uh, 
And yeah, my, my main sport growing up was kayaking though. Yeah. And, uh, when did that start? Well, that started, I think I was 11 when I started. Really? Yeah, and that started because, um, yeah, my, my parents thought it was a good idea that I do a sport during summer as well. And I uh, didn't really like, well, I like watching cricket, but I didn't fancy the idea of standing around in the field all day. I was, I was yeah, it was, seemed like it would be too boring. And uh, I just... You'd be yeah. right. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, so uh, my, one of my uncles once took me kayaking just for a recreational yeah. day and, uh, and it was good fun. And I just thought to myself, when they were asking me what summer sport I wanted to do, I thought, I wonder, did, is kayak racing a thing? <laughs> you know, maybe if, if we could race these things that I went in with my uncle, then maybe that'd be a good summer sport. So... We looked it up and I got into kayak racing and it started off as my summer thing and, uh, and it, after a couple of years it, uh, it took over and I ended up quitting footy to concentrate on kayaking. Where do you, uh, where do you kayak in that part of Victoria? Uh, there's, they actually built a, uh, a, a regatta centre in preparation for Melbourne winning the uh, 1996 Atlanta Olympics. <laughs> oh, okay, so it was all there. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was all, it was all there. Uh, and I don't know, for some reason, they jumped the gun a bit and decided we need this regatta centre to be ready for the Olympics without having actually won the right to host the Olympics yet. So that was there. And, uh, and you know, there's, there's uh, Patterson Lakes is just a, a uh-huh. big canal sort of set up where lots of people live. And then I used to go into the city to, to train on the Yarra with the VIS. But as a kid, though, as, as a kid, there's, there's a difference between dropping your kid at footy training and dropping your kid at kayak practice. Yeah. There's roof racks involved. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I could walk myself to footy training, but I needed to be driven at 4 a.m. to kayak training. So, yeah, it was a much different sort of commitment to my parents. Maybe they regretted that suggestion of, uh, of a summer sport. <laughs> yeah, but obviously they saw that it was worth putting you in it. Yeah, well, it was a... Uh, and still is a big factor in my life. And, um, yeah, I, I had some reasonable sort of level of success in it. So, uh, yeah, and I still love it to this day. When so, did yeah. – so when – let me let me get a, get a handle on this. When, when you started kayaking, I mean, I'm guessing other kids to race against when you're 11. Um, yeah. But when you started it, how early did someone go, hey, Andrew, you got, you got something here? This, this could be something you could do. Uh, I don't – yeah, I couldn't really pinpoint a time where where I was recognised as having extra talent or anything. It was just, yeah, I just trained for a while and then I started racing and, um, yeah, pretty soon after I started racing, I started winning and, um, and yeah, I guess, yeah, within the next couple of years, I started training with the, uh, the Victorian Institute of Sport and I did some camps with the Australian Institute of Sport and things like that. But, uh yeah. Yeah, I don't really re- specifically remember a time when a, a specific person said, hey, this guy's right. got what it takes or whatever. I, I just, it just was a natural progression sort right. of thing. Yeah, yeah. And it just felt, you know, it was like a fun thing to do, a good thing to do. And you, yeah, what, did, just, what did you get out of it? What did you like about it? Well, it was really different to footy. Um, I love footy. I love the team sport side of things. But kayaking had this sort of, uh, you know, there was no, it was just me. There was no reliance on any teammates, you know, the, the reliance on teammates is a good thing, and but it's also uh, can be frustrating for you know if I stuff up, I'm letting everyone else down, and, and at the same time I can play the best game I've ever played and we still lose. So you know I liked the the idea that it was totally dependent on me, and you know if I did a good job, then it it went well, and you know there was no. Out. There was less uh, outside factors to, that would determine results. A lot of what you do at 
a lot of the the kind of um, focus on what you do with the spud fit work that you do is around around food addiction, which I'm yeah. really kind of interested to talk to you about. So, but let's kind of backtrack a bit. When you're doing, you know, you're a teenage boy and you're doing competitive kayak racing, your caloric output is fucking massive. So you yeah. could probably just eat whatever the hell you wanted at that point. Yeah, and I did. Yeah, <laughs> And you would have never yeah. noticed that it was not okay. Uh, no, well, you did. I, I was always through that through that period where, you know, I was an elite level kayaker. I was, uh, you know, I was a legit guy, you know. And, you uh, had the blazer but, and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but still through the whole time, I was always five to ten kilos heavier than I should have been. And, uh, and it was always an internal sort of battle that, you know, I was trying to, I could lose five kilos, put it back on, whatever, but I, I could never get down to that ideal race weight. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, everybody knew. You could look at me and see that I, I didn't have a six pack like the guys I was racing against did. I could beat most of them, but I didn't look like an athlete, like an elite. I looked like an athlete, I guess, but maybe I didn't look like an elite athlete, which I was, but I just didn't. You know, five, ten kilos makes a big difference and it's only speculation but maybe it was the difference between me being one of the best in Australia and maybe being one of the best in the world. It feels like that's a reasonable thing to say. Oh, Who knows? Look, yeah. in, in, yeah. a, in a sport where a quarter of a second can, you know, spell a difference between first and second place yeah, or yeah. qualifying or not qualifying, dragging 10, kilo, 10 kilos and a kilometre is yeah. most definitely... I don't yeah, think it's yeah. speculation I'm at all. I'm not going to say I would have been world champion or anything, but there's no doubt that extra weight makes a big difference. So, Was there knows? uncomfortable yeah. conversations with coaches and stuff around this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, lots. And and in hindsight, I, I think it probably didn't help that having that extra pressure from, you know, these people who I really looked up to. And, you know, there was it – was, it was the 90s, you know, so people didn't understand things or people behaved just differently and, you know, there'd be – just little comments here and there from other athletes and coaches and whatever, which I'm sure they just meant in fun and whatever, but things that hurt a, a teenage kid. And um, so, yeah, there was there was that sort of stuff happening as well. And yeah, it was. Yeah, that would have been it would have been tough. And like around that, you know, knowing that that was going on, and you're you're a teenager at this point, and they're yeah. going, yeah, you got to you got to drop. I mean, I'm. I'm 44. I'm guessing you're a little younger than me, though. Yeah, 30, turning 38 next 30, week. Turning 38 yeah. next week, right. So I, I went to school at a time, so a little bit of maybe one high school cycle ahead of you. Yeah. It was still okay to, for PE teachers to call me fat. Yeah. yeah. It's still okay for them to go, you're a, you're, you're a tub of lard, you'll never, you know, what are you doing? You know, all, this yeah, kind of, yeah. all that kind of stuff was totally fine. Yeah, yeah, Totally definitely. fine to say to me at yeah. the age of 14 or whatever. Yeah, and an elite level coach is totally fine to you know it's they're just telling it in their eyes i'm sure it's just telling it like it is you know you're too fat you need to lose weight and you're not going to do anything unless you do and you know they're right i'm not going to be super successful unless i do but i guess there are there are better ways to talk to a teenage boy than uh, <laughs> than that you know shall we say more motivational ways to yeah, communicate yeah. that message yeah, uh, yeah yeah that's that's that is that is for sure so yeah. what did the i mean i know what my teenage eating looked like i mean i i ended up 112 kilos when i was seven i was in weight yeah, watches right. when i was eight yeah i ended up 112 kilos when i was 17 and i certainly know what my after school that was when it happened for me it was after school when no one was around it was just yeah. me in the fridge yeah no one had to know <laughs> yeah. you know what what did that kind of teenage eating look like for you 
Yeah, it was very similar. It was, uh, yeah, just stopping at the fish and chip shop on the way home or, you know, it was yeah. uh, it was big uh, Vegemite cheese toasted sangers uh, when I got home from school. And, uh, yeah, it was just – it was a lot like you – Probably just, uh, you know, when no one's around, just uh, mm. eat, yeah. People would always pass it off, though. Oh, you're a growing boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just puppy fat. I heard that all the time. It's just puppy fat. It'll, it'll be gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, like, as you, you know, as you're starting progressing, obviously you're, you're, you're super strong and you're super committed and you're driven and you're competitive. So, clearly, you've got, you know, you've got the thing, you've got enough that's pushing you past everybody else. So it was like, oh, that's just another thing. It's not the only thing that's holding you back, not at all. It's just a thing that, yeah. you know, is, is going on. But, you know, as you're getting all the way through this, you know, up to the competitive level, I mean, I only know, you know, I know what a Tour de France cyclist burns through in a day. Mm. I know what, because my buddy Ruben has just, he wrote his book called Big Fat Myths and he went found all this research about, Remember the Westfield Ultra Marathons that used to go from yeah. like Sydney to Melbourne? All right, so Giannis, Young, yeah, Cliffy Young, <laughs> yeah. only potatoes. Yeah, yeah, potato farmer. Only yeah. potatoes. Yeah. Ate only potatoes. <laughs> and in, in Ruben's book, he talks about there's this brilliant thing that Cliffy Young said during an interview. Cliff Young was like in his fifties, I think, yeah. or forties, and beat everyone in this ultra marathon by shuffling it's called the yeah, cliff yeah. young shuffle and all he ate was potatoes as, yeah. as he ran and, and we've just got a, a little i think he's 10 weeks old little boy and he's, he's not called cliff but i wanted to call him cliff <laughs> <laughs> but cliff in this fantastic interview on like one of the sunday night interview shows cliff fantastically said oh yeah yeah i can't do his accent but he said along the lines of he talked like a farmer you know out the yeah. side of his mouth oh yeah i've got to, i've got to eat the carbon hydrates <laughs> <laughs> but he yeah. called them carbohydrates, yeah. not yeah, carbohydrates. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's perfect because that's what you are eating. It's, yeah, it's, and that's actually what I'm pretty sure the, the carbo and carbohydrate stands it, for carbon it does. anyway. Yeah. It does. It does. <laughs> yeah. It does. Uh, but, yeah, so yeah, we, we digress. But So yeah. um, Ruben talked about how many calories his main competitor, Giannis Kouros, ate yeah. and how many calories the Tour de France rider would eat and how many calories, like that's been quite documented, like someone like Michael Phelps would eat when you're at the competitive kayaking level that's an extraordinary explosive amount of of energy that you've got to you've got to put out your your day would have been i don't know you've got to get like five thousand calories in man if you want to be at all competitive here yeah well i, I don't i'd never actually figured out at the time exactly how many calories i should have eaten or you know i don't i'm not sure what the exact expenditure was but yeah i was training four to six hours a day and, uh, you know, it was intense. I was training every morning, every night. And, uh, yeah, two hours in the morning, two hours at night during school days. And then I would sometimes do three sessions on, on weekends. Yeah. And um, I was – I can tell you that I was in, taking in an extraordinary amount of calories. But so <laughs> <laughs> to only be 5, 10 kilos overweight, I was burning a lot too, yeah. Yeah, no, no doubt. Yeah. No, no doubt. So when the kayaking ended, was there a reason that that went away? Yeah, well, basically, I my junior, I was I was a senior. I went from you know I turned eighteen and I wasn't able to race juniors anymore. I went up to seniors and I started for the for about a year. I was racing seniors, but um, you know as a junior, I was consistently in the top few. And then yeah, when I became a senior, that that five to ten kilos started to really matter. And um, well, it really mattered as a junior, but you know I was instead of being the top few, I was you know tenth in a race and. Uh, and yeah, I started to, uh, I just started to lose motivation because it just, 
I was working hard. I was, I was, other than weighing too much, I was doing everything I could do to be the best kayaker I could be. And I just had this little, this one nut that I couldn't crack and I just, I just couldn't do it. And I just started losing motivation because I just wasn't getting reward for my extraordinary amount of effort that I was putting into it. And, uh, yeah, you know, if I knew then what I know now, I guess things would have been different, but yeah, it's just, do you remember, do you remember calling it? No, I just sort of, I just sort of drifted away and I, I never, it's funny. I never actually stopped kayaking. I just, I would, you know, instead of training with squad six days a week, I just, I'd skip a session and go for a paddle by myself just cause I just didn't really enjoy it anymore. knowing that I was, yeah, I was, uh, I was fighting an uphill battle, a losing battle in the end that, um, so I just really, the first step was just withdrawing from the, the squads that I was in and, and, uh, just training by myself. And, you know, for, for a few years, I still, I didn't train as much, but I did a lot of paddling still, but I just, most of it was by myself and, uh, yeah. And then I, I just gradually, I went to fewer and fewer races and then I stopped racing and yeah, it just became something I did on my own. Right. Yeah. What happened? Uh, what happened then? Did the did like was it the? And you see it a bit with. I mean, I you know you see it with with footballers who retire. You see it with, I don't know, like weightlifters who retire or fighters yeah. who retire. They stop the training, but they keep eating the same yeah. way. What happened with you? Yeah, well, it was along those lines. Yeah, I didn't just suddenly stack it on there because I was still training. I was still. Yeah, I was training on my own and it wasn't as intense as before. You know, instead of training twice a day, I was just training once every day. And, uh, you know, still, so I was still a fit guy, but just not elite. And, uh, you know, instead of being five to 10 kilos overweight, I went up to 15 to 20 kilos overweight, which is, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a tall guy, so I carry weight well. So most people wouldn't have thought I was hugely overweight. I just probably, I didn't look like I used to, but yeah, it was uh, yeah, just something that slowly came crept up yeah yeah when did you have a moment where you went like were you aware that it was going like not great like i mean i you know look at my own experience certainly before i got sober i would definitely you know i would be trying to run in the soft sand i would try and you know i would run uh and certainly when i first got to los angeles in like 2005 i would run 12 k's every day to the top of runyon canyon like mm. up a freaking mountain <laughs> nearly a sur- nearly, nearly a city to surf every day and i was still putting on weight because i was eating like shit but i couldn't figure it out and i was just disgusted with myself so then i would run 12 k's but then i'd come home and then i'd drink a six pack and have two sandwiches before dinner <laughs> and i put up you know it was a cycle of just like Oh, I'm a fat piece of shit. I should go running and then run and go, yeah, I'm running. I'm awesome. And then just eat, eat, eat. <laughs> and totally undo everything I'd just done. But was that, would you go through a similar thing or was anything close to that? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty similar. Yeah, I, I was not kayaking as much, but I got into bike riding then and I was, even did some bike racing and I got back into playing local football. And, uh, you know, I was still, I was, I was one of the fitter, I wasn't, I was a big, slow ruckman type, you know, but I was, I could run all day. And, um, you know, my main strength as a footballer was being able to run out the game better than my opponent. So not that I was a, again, I wasn't a gun footballer, but I was an okay local footballer. But, uh, but yeah, the whole time I was, uh, pretty much how you described, I would go and ride 50, 60 Ks on a Saturday morning and then have a huge, um, you know, bacon and egg breakfast to, <laughs> to totally cancel out everything I'd just done. And, uh, and yeah, just weight just slowly kept on creeping on. And for me, the, the weight 
really started packing on when I, after I had my first boy, who's nearly five years old now. Um, Just routine yeah. out the window and looking yeah. after a newborn and, you know. Exactly. No sleep, no routine. I couldn't, you know, I used to be able to rely on having that two hours every day to train and suddenly that was gone. And when my time for training was gone, then what little motivation I did have to eat well, that was also totally gone. And, uh, and yeah, it all just went downhill quick from there. <laughs> and and yeah. what, what did that look like? Oh, that was just, it was usually a pretty healthy breakfast. I'd wake up in the morning feeling motivated and that was about it. Then, uh, you know, I'd go to work and, uh, and I would have, maybe I would have taken a salad with me to work and most of the time it didn't get eaten and I'd, I'd go to the shop and get a packet of cookies or whatever, you know, just, uh, yeah, it was just, it was, it was not pretty from, uh, from lunchtime onwards. <laughs> so, you see, you're, so you're seen in the morning prepping something healthy. Yeah. The people at home are like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's trying to do the right thing. Yeah. You're seen leaving the house with a box of salad. Yeah, yeah. But then you get to work and a short walk from work is a supermarket or something. Yeah. And then it's like a whole, back, a whole buck, of, packet of cookies. Yeah, know? just it'd be different every day. It might be, you know, I was having a, every day pretty much I'd have a bottle of Coke. Um, like a 1.5 litre? Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, yeah. that's a lot <laughs> of sugar, man. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it wasn't good, mate. It was, uh, yeah, yeah and, and at night time it would be, most of the time I would have a dinner that wasn't great either, you know, something with too much fat in it, too much, you know, processed food and I, I could quite easily eat a family-sized pizza to myself followed by ice cream, you know. So uh, it was not a nice time and, yeah, that was... Uh, probably a combination of factors led to you know my weight gain, but also deteriorating mental health and uh, yeah, like how yeah. Well, I was clinically depressed and anxious uh, for a couple of years, probably um, before I didn't really know I was that way. But one day, my wife said, "Hey, I think you might be depressed," and uh, yeah, she was right. <laughs> how did that? How did that show up for you? I was just really withdrawn. Like I've always, I was always a pretty outgoing sort of guy, and uh, you know, pretty. I wouldn't say I was a showman. That's the wrong word. But I was, I was, I didn't mind being in front of an audience or whatever, and uh, making a fool of myself and having people laugh at me or whatever. That was fine. But uh, but yeah, over that first couple of years after my my boy was born, I just stopped. Didn't want to go out anymore. I didn't want to talk to people. And if we did happened to go to a party, I would get myself a beer and hide in the corner and try to avoid eye contact. And, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, you know, at, at lunchtime at work, I would, I would always previously have been, you know, first one into the, into the staff room, playing table tennis, joking around, you know, talking to everyone about what they did on the weekend or whatever. And then you know, I was most lunches, I would either go for a little walk by myself or just stay at my desk. And I rarely went to the staff room anymore. And, it was just, yeah, it was just really being withdrawn and you know, just avoiding talking to people as much as possible, yeah. It's lucky that you're, I mean, I, I certainly know that, that what you just described about going out to a social situation like a party, like yeah. I was the beer in the corner guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was the beer in the, yeah, I was yeah. the guy in the corner who took supplies yeah. so that I wouldn't have to go back to the fridge and yeah, ask yeah. people, yeah. you know. Yeah, get two. If you go and get two. Oh, yeah, 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 and I'll be over here. Yeah. No, 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 just sit in the car. This is before mobile phones, so yeah, you just yeah. had, you couldn't look at your phone. You just stand there. Yeah. You just got to drink uncomfortably alone. It was, it was weird, you know. It just brought up this memory of, uh, 
I was in the depths of depression and I was, you know, I was, things were not good and I was doing all the things we just talked about. But there was a trivia night at the golf club and I was asked to host. So I hosted it and I did a great job and I made a fool of myself in front of everybody and, you know, there was uh, trivia questions about various songs and, we, and I just sang the songs and you sing the next line and all that and I, I did a really good show. But then, like, in between rounds of this trivia night when, you know, we're going to have a break now, go and get a drink, whatever, then I would just, again, go back to the corner and just hope no one came to talk to me. But then it was sort of weird. I don't really get that. But I was fine with the microphone in my hand, but then... You know, you're speaking my language, mate. I've just, I've just written a whole book about this. I've just written a whole book about this. Exactly what you're talking about. It's like I'm fine when I'm in control. Yeah. that's totally fine. Because when I'm got a microphone, then I'm talking and everyone else is quiet and it's cool. But when, the, yeah. when it's the other way around, oh no. That's, that's, <laughs> that control is probably it, I guess. It's yeah, exactly yeah. right. For uh, me, that's. Ex- I mean, for someone with anxiety, yeah, which I was, like when. Am I in more control than when I'm on live national television talking and everyone is quiet and everything only happens at the moment that I say it's going to happen? Right. Like like those 30 seconds, those minute long little chunks of my life were just like like when people describe the perfect golf swing or Kelly Slater talks about the perfect turn on a wave. Like it only lasts a couple of seconds, but oh, man. That was the magic, and that's what I chased, and that that is that is what I chased. But it's really lucky, like when you're doing those avoidant behaviours, and I certainly know them. I I resonate very very clearly with your story. When you're doing those avoidant behaviours, it just feels like, oh no, this is the right thing to do. This is the right thing to do. This is me taking care of myself. This is me doing the things. This is me scratching the itch. This is me, you know, putting a second blanket on on a cold night. I'm doing a kind thing for myself, right? It's really lucky that your wife was able to go, hey, buddy, I don't think I don't think something's right here. That, that someone outside of you whom you trusted, I mean, I'm sure she wasn't the only person who said something, but you, I mean, I might have just gone, ah, I'm fine, fine. Yeah. But that she called called out. It's really lucky that she pointed that out. Definitely, yeah. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a typical tough Aussie bloke, you know. I can't you're, you play country <laughs> fucking football, mate. Come on. You're six, no, no. What are you, 6'5"? Six, 6'5", five? Six, six, five, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, I should be right. You don't want to hear that shit, exactly. (laughs) You don't want to hear that shit. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, anyone else ask me how I was doing? I would have just said, "Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. No worries. Relax." And now leave me alone in the corner, please. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, but, yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't do that when it was my wife saying it. If if she she said, and I hadn't, I hadn't talked about feeling depressed or anything. She just she just knew as. Yeah, she's much more intelligent than me, so <laughs> she she picked up on it, and uh, and yeah, when my wife says it, I can't ignore it. So, what was your first step? I booked in to see a professional. Yeah, that was just through your GP, or did you go see a psychologist? Uh, through, I was living in a small country town called Jabiru in Kakadu, and there was just not there wasn't much access to health professionals there. So, uh, yeah, so I went to the local GP and. Uh, Actually, no. Now that I'm thinking about it, the first step was I rang Beyond Blue. Actually, the the, uh, the helpline. Uh, yeah, the helpline. Yeah, rang them, and, and I had a couple of online appointments, and then they suggested I go to the GP and and see someone face to face. So, yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, and, that's uh, that is. Yeah. Oh, we could do a whole podcast talking about living in that part of the world, yeah. uh, which is an yeah. story. Just very, very quickly for people who want to go and Google it, you were working as a high school teacher. I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How so, many kids were in the school? 
Oh, maybe 150, something like that. Yeah, amazing. That yeah. would have been freaking amazing. Yeah, it was. It was. It was amazing. Yeah, and uh, and I I look back on it, feeling one grateful that I I had the experience to be able to go there. But number two is that it makes me sad that I wasn't able to enjoy it fully because I was I was depressed basically the whole time I was there. Yeah. I was there for a year, and uh, I didn't. You know, if if I was there in a previous life, I would have been best mates with everyone in town but I got through a year and I didn't really know anyone still because I just avoided contact so right right yeah but you know the teaching side of things I was still a good teacher while I was there I was you know when I was in front of class probably a lot like we just described with mm. you with a microphone in your hand when I was in front of a class teaching I was still very good at it and I still put everything into it but you know as soon as the bell went and I would go and collapse at my desk so oh, yeah. <laughs> man yeah. oh but, so yeah, it was a good teaching experience but the rest of my experience wasn't yeah. that good. <laughs> well, yeah, access and through the work I do at, at SANE Australia, access to um, mental health professionals in regional Australia is, is, a, is a big challenge because we are a vast nation. There yeah. is a huge amount of space between the oceans and um, it, it, gets, it gets dire. It gets like one to, uh, you know, 300,000 or more. Like it gets, yeah. it gets dire in some parts yeah. of Australia. It's just hard to see someone. So so you went, you went to go see a GP and, and you you. you, you had access to some care from there and when did yeah. things start to did things start to feel better no not really uh i didn't I, I, they had a psychologist that came i think she came once a week and i saw her and it was she was probably a great lady but i didn't she, we didn't really gel so that's I mean, tough yeah. and you know i've got one choice of a psychologist and Nothing against her. Just sometimes you don't click with people. I don't so, know. I yeah. date. I would date yeah. them. I would like essentially date them. <laughs> yeah, I would yeah. like you know make a different appointment with like I'll try you out. Yeah. I'll have a session with you. Yeah. I'll have a session with you. And I go oh yeah, okay. I I I can click with this person. Yeah yeah yeah. Well, yeah. I only had one choice. Yeah so that's I tough. I saw her a few times and then I was like this is not working for me. Uh, so I went back to just having phone appointments and uh, and yeah I was prescribed medication which I never took, which. Uh, you know, I definitely wouldn't say that's a uh, you, you shouldn't take medication. I'm, I definitely wouldn't advocate for that. It was probably a silly thing on my part that I decided not to take it. But anyway, I, that's what I did. And uh, but yeah, no, my my depression. I tried lots of things. I spoke to lots of people, and it never really nothing improved until I did this crazy yeah? potato thing. What yeah. was the <laughs> so? Because I mean, when. People, if they if they Google you, they see the the before photos. Do you, yeah. you obviously you stood in front of the mirror the day before, and you stood in front of the mirror the day before that. What mm. you know? What did you see when you stood in front of the mirror in the moments leading up to making that decision? Oh, I was just disgusted. I just was. Oh, I didn't like anything about myself really. Not not just what I saw in the mirror. That was just a small part of the story. I just didn't like who I had become as a person and. Uh, yeah, I was, I was very good at, you know, making sure that I was a good father and a good husband. Uh, no doubt, I was not close to what I am now in those things. But I, I put everything into making sure I was a good father and a good husband. Gave my wife and kid everything that I could at the time. But yeah, I just, other than that, I just, uh, I just wasn't, I wasn't me. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it's a hard thing to describe, really. But I just, I wasn't the guy that. I knew I, I had been and could hopefully be. I just it was, yeah. I wasn't happy. When did the when did the concept of food addiction enter your mind? Yeah, that was a big moment as well. Uh, basically, 
all right, I had a month where I, you know, I was always trying to lose weight and uh, tried it all. Yeah, tried it all. I tried everything, tried every different diet, including before I was depressed, you know, through right through my junior kayaking days, through my football playing days, everything. I was always trying to lose weight and I would, I was good at losing a little bit and then putting it back on again, plus a little bit more. And uh, I had this one particular uh, time where uh, basically I realised that being a teacher for a long time, that uh, kids always end up like their parents. And, and yeah, that was the worst thing I could think of for, for my little boy who was two years old at the time. I suddenly hit me that, oh, shit, he's going to end up like me. Fuck. <laughs> That's like the last thing I wanted for him at the time. Um, so I didn't know, you know, I thought that no matter what I do here, my little boy is going to end up a fat, depressed man and there's nothing I can do about it. So I tried everything with, with depression. I was just out of answers for depression. I just didn't know what to do. Again, I probably should have taken medication to see if that helped, but I didn't do it. But yes, I thought, well, maybe I'll try again at losing weight. And then at least instead of growing up to be fat and depressed, my boy can just grow up and be depressed. <laughs> at least that's something. <laughs> so, so I had a month where I did really well, which was pretty common for me. I'd do really well for a month and you know, I lost weight and things were going well and I thought I'll just I'll need a reward after doing perfectly for a month. I'll just have a slice of pizza for dinner. And, um, yeah, of course, you can't order home-delivered one slice of pizza. So I ordered a family-sized pizza, which, you know, why, I, don't, I can't explain that. Why don't I just order a, a small pizza at least? <laughs> but anyway, long story short, a slice of pizza turned into the whole pizza plus ice cream plus a bottle of Coca-Cola. And, uh, and I told myself all sorts of stories about how I would go back to my healthy diet the next day and how, you know... Two slices of pizza is not that bad. I'll just get up early and train extra hard. And yeah, it just didn't, didn't happen that way. So the next day, obviously, I didn't get up early. I didn't eat well. And the afternoon, I was just feeling really sorry for myself about having let myself down yet again. And, uh, and I thought, you know, the best thing for me to do is obviously to have a beer and drown my sorrows. So I went and grabbed a beer from the fridge. And as I sat on the couch and cracked open that beer, uh, I just had this sudden realisation that the way I've been treating food all my life is the way an alcoholic would treat this beer that's in my hand. And, you know, there's heard a million stories about an alcoholic that has maybe they quit alcohol for six months or whatever and then, oh, it's my best mate's Bucks night, I'll just, I'll have one beer tonight and then I'll go back to being sober tomorrow and sure enough, one beer turns into waking up in the gutter somewhere with no idea how you got there and alcoholism's back. And it just really, the more I thought about that in that moment, it just really resonated with me that, you know, this alcoholic behavior is the exact same as what I was doing with food the whole time. So, yeah. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Yeah. yeah as, as you were describing that pizza story, I yeah. was like, yeah, that, that was that was absolutely me at the fridge yeah. in the last couple of days before I, I had my last ever drink. Yeah, right. When you're in that moment, when it's you and the family size pizza, when you're making those bargains, mm. what are the what are the bargains look like? One slice and then two and then three. At what yeah. point? At what point do you just do the fuckets kick in? Fuck yeah. <laughs> at what point do the fuckets kick in? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was one slice was just a reward for having a good month. Then you know I left it for half an hour, and then it was well, two slices in a month is not that bad. You can just get up early and train it off, and you'll be okay. So I had the second slice, and then third slice was ah, uh, you know it was. It's not great, but it's still, you know, it's not the worst thing it can happen to have three slices. And then the next step was, well, uh, you know, I can't, I can't, the pizza's there now. It's like, of course I knew that was going to happen when I ordered it somewhere in me, but, you know, the pizza's there now and I better get rid of it. <laughs> I can't throw it in the bin though because there are starving kids in Africa. So somehow they, you know, I would be hurting them if I threw the pizza in the bin. So I better just eat the whole lot so that it's not there tomorrow because if, if it's there tomorrow, then I can't go back to being healthy tomorrow. So I've got to get rid of it now, you know. <laughs> and uh, Making yeah. bargains, making uh, yeah. deals. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. then when you reach for the ice cream tub, where are you now? What do you, oh, well, you think? Yeah, that was the, that was the pocket point, yeah. yeah. <laughs> By that yeah. point, and then yeah. you're drinking the Coke that comes with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It just, now you just didn't, oh, I don't give a shit about yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a hopeless loser. There's, uh, you know, why bother? Just let's eat everything, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man, you're so lucky that you had that that moment. So, yeah, on the on the couch with the, recognizing the parallels in behavior, but the trick. I mean, it's super easy for me as someone who I've been sober eight and a half, nearly eight and a half years now. It was pretty easy for me to identify. I'm never going to put this thing in my mouth ever again. You can't do that with food. You have to eat. Yeah. So what do you do now? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. That was initially when I first had this this moment of realising, uh, my first thought was, fuck, I wish I was an alcoholic instead. <laughs> I was like, you know, obviously I don't, I, who knows what's a worse addiction to have. I'm not going to speculate about that. But I found in my warped mind thinking, geez, wouldn't it be better if I was addicted to heroin? Because... You know, at least then I would know there's a black and white line, either yeah. either do drugs or don't. Yeah. But, and like with yeah. me, it's like I just yeah. for the, I'm now it's okay. But for me, it was like, no, I am not going to the pub. You guys are going to do this thing. I am not coming with yeah. you because I cannot control myself in that environment. All right, you're having, okay, I will I will meet you for brunch, but I cannot do lunch because at yeah. lunch you'll probably order a drink and I want one too, so I will yeah. not. Do, so it's really easy for me to exclude myself. But yeah. you, you have to eat. I mean – yeah, you gotta eat, and yeah. you gotta eat with people in your house. There's a kitchen in your home. It's like having a pub in your house. Yeah, yeah. And it's not like you know, if you're an alcoholic, you don't just go, okay, well, I'm I'm gonna quit beer and wine and spirits. Uh, no, I'm mean, beer and wine and say bourbon, but maybe uh, vodka's okay and uh, tequila's okay, but I won't have uh, you know cocktails either. And you know, <laughs> that's that's not that's not how it works. You just don't drink alcohol. Um, but with food, there's so many decisions still to make. So it's not there's no black and white. I, I eat sometimes I eat sometimes I don't. Whatever. It's just yeah, that really got me down initially, and, uh, and I started thinking, fuck, there's just there's no way to beat this. I can't beat it because I'm addicted. But there's no I can't stop. I've got got to keep eating. And uh, yeah, over the course of the afternoon, I was you know sinking lower and lower and, uh, and drinking more and more beer, <laughs> and uh, and. 
yeah, I had just had this thought, well, I wonder, could I quit some foods and not others? Maybe would that be something I could do? And then I started thinking, well, could I, I wonder how close I could get to quitting food entirely. I wonder if there's just one particular food that I could eat and, and thereby treat my food addiction as close as possible to the abstinence model. So, yeah, then I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll find that out. So I picked up my laptop and Googled you know, what is the perfect food for humans or something like that. And, uh, and yeah, this, this amazing video by Dr. John McDougall came up called Potatoes, the Perfect Food. And it was on YouTube and I watched that and, uh, and, it, and that really started things off. And I, and I went into a whole heap of research for, I did hours and hours of research every day for six weeks. And it turned out, I should have just listened to that initial video because it was right. <laughs> but, but look, honestly, good for you because some people will watch uh, a two-minute long video on YouTube and then get into fights at pubs saying, yeah. no, the world is flat. Yeah, yeah. All right, you then spent, oh, as, a good, as the good teacher that you are, you then spent six weeks going, oh, maybe avocados. Yeah. Now, did anything come a close second? Were you looking, were you tossing up with a few? Yeah, yeah. Bananas was a, 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 another one that I thought of, yeah. But, yeah, it was... Oh, I've got I've got an, another degree in uh, in sports science. So, of course you do. So yeah, that was a, a helpful thing for me. That uh, I guess most of the public doesn't have a science degree. So so you had the, the skills of researching and yeah, finding yeah, so, different sources to prove things. Yeah, and just interpreting study design and data and all of that. You know, I wasn't I'm, I wasn't and still aren't a nutrition expert, but at least I had the skills to interpret what's a good study and whether I should, if I'm reading a certain study, should I give weight to what they've done based on is the study design flawed and is the data what they say it is and, and who and sponsored sort of the study yeah all of that sort of stuff yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that yeah, later yeah. we'll talk about that later so so you come yeah. to potatoes how do you talk to your wife about by the way honey this is what it's going to be yeah well she knew that i was spending a lot of time on the computer but you know she didn't ask me what i was doing she was uh she I guess she knew it was I was doing something that was important and if I wanted to tell her about it, I would and she's very good like that. She just leaves me to do my thing. And so, yeah, I was, it was a few days until the end of 2015 uh, and I said, I've had this idea. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a food addict and, you know, I haven't said this out loud to anyone before. Uh, but, yes, I told her I'm addicted to food and just explained my whole thought process, told her about all the research I'd done, and, uh, and said, this is what I want to do. And she didn't flinch. She just said, yeah, if that's what you want to do, then do it. She just had full faith in me and trust in me. She didn't say that you're, you're a nut like most people said. <laughs> she just said, she just said, yep, I'm, I'm with you. And she only had one rule, and that was that if I was going to do it, then she wanted me to get a doctor supervision just to make sure. And, you know, again, typical bloke, uh, I know what I'm doing. I'll be right. <laughs> she said, no, nah, you need to get a doctor supervision. And uh, so I did that. And once once I sorted that out, she was totally on board. And what did that, yeah. that look like? Just like blood work and stuff like that along the way? Yeah, just regular medical checkups and blood work. Yeah. And I had DEXA scans, which is a uh, in a body composition scan, it accurately measures you lie on this bed in a laser sort of thing. I don't know. It's a, no, it's a low dose X-ray. Yeah, it's, X -ray. it's a very that's, low dose X-ray, yeah. and you 
and not hide in a yeah. DEXA scan. You look yeah, yeah. at it, you look at it, and if you've never had a DEXA scan, you basically see this extraordinary picture of your body. Yeah, um, it's not pretty. It, well, exactly right. You see the skeleton. There's my skeleton. I want what a skeleton looks like. That's what yeah. my skeleton looks like. There's all my muscles. That's the red stuff. That's yeah. great. Watch this lumpy yeah. yellow thing that is just, it is the same color as Homer Simpson and the same shape as Homer yeah. Simpson doing all around my body. Yeah. Oh, that's fat. Yeah. If I pull the fat away, that's what I could look like. Yeah. Yeah. That's what my body could look like if I pulled the. F- oh my goodness! So in yeah. one side, it's really full on because yeah. you see it, but on the other side, you're like, I found. I personally found mine really motivational. I was like, I'm right. Yeah. That's what's underneath all yeah, that. The, the first one was not at all motivational. No. Was, but but when you go back for another one and you think, oh look how much I've changed, then yeah, that that was a motivational thing. But the main thing about that was. Just making sure it wasn't about the fat loss, but it was it was interesting to see the fat loss. But I just wanted to make sure that the bone density was good and my muscle, I wasn't losing muscle and that sort of thing. So yeah, uh, yeah. So it was more about the health side of things rather than tracking fat loss. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, it was good. So. Food uh, now to for people who don't kind of know or have, this might be the first time they've heard that food addiction is a thing. How would you describe food addiction? Oh, it just it just took up all my thoughts. It just took up so much of my brain space that, uh, yeah, it was from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed, I was just thinking about food all the time. And every spare moment, I'd, while I was eating breakfast, I was thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch. And, you know, while I was eating breakfast, I was usually thinking about a healthy lunch. But, but it, there was always this, just a voice in the back of my head saying, you know, you can just, oh, just, just have a, have a, have some chocolate, whatever, you deserve it, whatever. It was just a, yeah, just a constant load, I guess, in, in my mind that was just always there. It was just a heavy weight and, yeah, so it's really, it's interesting. I've never been asked to actually describe food addiction like that before, but it was, it's just a, a constant weight, a constant uh, part of my mind that's just pushing me to just go and eat more and eat mm. worse crappy foods. And I guess the main thing is that it's sort of a reliance on food for, um, emotional support in the end it's you know you have a bad day at work and you don't want to deal with that by going for a run you want to deal with it by eating some junk and that'll make you feel better or yeah it's just a I guess it's a reliance that's that's probably the the simplest way to say it. the, 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 the yeah. paradox is that it doesn't yeah. make you feel better does it yeah well exactly you don't you, you don't realize that but mm. you know you have a, a couple of Tim Tams or whatever and and in the in the moment it's like wow this is great and you know you got Fireworks going off in your in your brain and having a foodgasm and uh, but yeah, it's a fleeting moment that you feel that sort of excitement from having some good food and yeah, it, in the end, it just it makes everything worse. Right, it's like <laughs> listening to you describe yeah. it. Listening to you describe it, you're like what you found on the couch that day. The way I described the, the you know what it was to to not be able to not drink. You know the way I describe. You know you take the the, the you swap the nouns out, yeah. <laughs> and it's the same yeah. thing. It's yeah. addiction is this. It just shows up in a in a different way. Like for me, like drinking was um, like I couldn't have one because if I had one, a change would happen within me that then prevented me from making a decision about having anything else. Yeah, and I was no longer able to make that decision. And it was absolutely what you're saying. It was avoiding, avoiding emotion. 
I yeah. was, tr- and but with me, I would experience a, a, a fairly vast personality shift um, when I drink. I, I make the joke. Like I was allergic to alcohol when I drank. I broke out and fuck with. <laughs> 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 it was a terrible, terrible rash and affliction on the people who loved me. But it's fascinating listening to you describe it like that, and that you know that you were using it as a way. And would I be right in saying that you were using the food? as a way of trying to avoid the emotion, thinking this will this will make things feel better. And then for like maybe a bite, it did. Mm. And then that emotion was, re- that that feeling was, was it then replaced by, oh, now I'm disgusting. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. I it feel was- disgusting. I know what I'll do. I'll eat some more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was all about avoiding emotion for sure. It was, uh, yeah, if, 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 you, if I was feeling bad after a, a bad day or whatever, Whatever reason, even if I was feeling good, I want to celebrate by, you know, this bit mm. of cake will make this good feeling even better. You know, mm. it was just, yeah, it was about avoiding emotion and, uh, and you know, basically, and if you're avoiding emotion, then you're avoiding what it is to be human. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so oh. that, was, that was it. I was, I was depressed and anxious because I was avoiding being a human. So... <laughs> Yeah. What were the first? So I'm guessing it was towards the end of 2015. So it was like a January one yeah, situation. Well, yeah, it was. That was all by coincidence. So my initial plan was, I'd, I'd basically, I'd, I'd done all that research, and there was three or four days until January first, and the whole time I was thinking, I was trying to decide if I wanted to do it for a couple of months or maybe a hundred days. It'd be a good amount or whatever. And anyway, there was when I finished the research there was three or four days left until the first of January and for some reason I just I just thought well why don't, why don't I just wait until the first of January I'll start then and I'll just talk to my wife about it get my mind around this idea and then I'll I'll start on the first of January and then I was still trying to decide exactly what length period of time I wanted to do it for and then for some reason I, I got no justification for it but for some reason this thought came into my mind maybe if I'm starting on the 1st of January I should just go through the whole year just and I just it didn't seem like a good idea but it's just nagged away for those few days it just nagged away in the back of my head as like I kept on thinking nah 100 days is enough 100 days I don't need to do more than 100 days but just, the idea just kept on just do a year just do the whole year and uh, yeah I'm a, I've always been a pretty all or nothing kind of guy and in, yeah, in the end, I just thought, fuck it, I'll just, I'll just do it here. <laughs> you know? There's no good reason for it, but I just felt like, yeah, let's do it. So, uh, so you, like, I'll eat only potatoes for a year, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, yeah. every meal, just potatoes. Yeah, yeah, and it was a really scary thought, honestly. It was like, I didn't think that it was something I'd be able to do. It was not like I just thought, yeah, eat potatoes for a year, piece of piss, let's do it. It was, uh, it was, it felt like, the hardest thing I would ever do and that it was close enough to impossible and it was scary and all of that. But, uh, but yeah, it just felt like I needed to give it a try. And, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, I didn't know what was going to happen. Like that was the scary thing really, I guess. I just didn't know, I didn't know what was going to happen and what, whether I'd be able to do it first of all, but you know, if it would even do what I wanted it to do, would it change the way I related to food the way I wanted it to? I don't know. It just, it just, I guess in the end, I just thought, well, if I eat only potatoes for a year, that's my life's at least going to be different to what it is now. You know, so <laughs> you can't eat potatoes for a whole year and still be the same at the end of it, can you? So <laughs> I just, I just got to give it a try. Yeah. What did? Right. How early? Like. So by doing such a thing, you've you've broken 
so many patterns of behaviour that would have existed in your, mm. in your entire life, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was, you know, the, the thing about it is if you, if you eat a bit of a donut, for example, you know, you have a bad day, I'll have a donut and it'll make me feel better. And it does in that moment. And, and a part of the reason why is that it's very uh, energy dense and we as humans are where we've evolved to seek energy dense food. You know, that whoever, you know, as cave, in caveman times, whichever people were best at finding the most calories were the most likely to survive. So we've got systems built in that encourage us to go and find more calories. And one of those is that if you eat something that's higher in calories, then you get a bigger dopamine hit in your brain and that encourages you to go and then find more calories. Uh, so the reason I'm saying that is that if I eat a donut now, I'll get a, a dopamine hit in my brain and, and it will make me feel good for a moment. If you eat just potatoes, you don't get that dopamine hit. So the, I think the, origi uh, the, the initial change in, in the way things work was that uh, I had a bad day and, okay, I've got to eat. What am I going to eat? I'm going to eat potatoes because it's my only choice. So I'd eat potatoes and the dopamine hit doesn't come. And then over time you repeat that action and you keep going back to food looking for this dopamine hit and it keeps on not happening. And then you start and your mood doesn't change and you don't get anything that you're looking for from food, it just doesn't come. And then over time, I, I guess just organically, I started looking for other ways to get that dopamine hit. So it wasn't like a conscious decision that I have to, okay, food's not giving me what I want, I need to find another way to get it. It was just sort of, I don't know, it just happened on its own that I, I wasn't, I needed to do something else to regulate my emotional state. And, uh, and yeah, that was, that was the biggest thing in that first few weeks was, uh, yeah, learning to get comfort and enjoyment and emotional support from other areas of life other than food. And, yeah, that was, that was what it was all about really in the end, yeah. So where did you go to to get that, that I mean, obviously if you're not getting the solution you know, and a lot is exactly the same with yeah. alcohol, man. So yeah. alcohol wasn't the problem. Alcohol was the solution. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But then the solution stopped working. Yeah. All right. So then you got to go find another solution. Yeah. Which is where the work is. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. Where did you find that? Where did you find that emotional regulation? Oh, it was a combination of things. I wouldn't say there was just one specific thing. Um, there was a, a whole lot of different things. I just basically I was more aware of what I was doing, and uh, and I would look for. I was just looking for enjoyment in just wherever I could find it. One thing was meditation. I started doing some meditation and I started just taking a few minutes each morning just to read a, a poem, which is uh, it's called If by Rudyard Kipling. It's a sort of a stoic, uh, it's based in stoic philosophy. It's a poem that Rudyard Kipling wrote for his son about, you know, how you'll you'll inherit the world if you do all these things. And uh, it's a really good poem. So I started reading that every morning and, uh, and then I would recall that during the day if I was having a bad emotional time, I would recall that poem. Uh, that helped. I would put more effort into playing with my son. I would, I would look up a joke on Google or whatever and just find a terrible joke to tell my wife from time to time. Or, uh, you know, after a month or so, I started exercising more. Uh, it's just a whole heap of things. I couldn't really say there's just this one thing mm. I did that that uh, I replaced my emotional reliance on food with this one activity. It was just 
throughout my life, I was just uh, paying more attention and and uh, just just looking for the good in life a bit more. And you know, I would literally stop in the street to smell a flower. You know, that was a. It's not. It doesn't seem like much, but it, you know, when you when you pay attention like that, it just it, it changes. But it yeah. sounds it sounds to me like you had gone from an unhealthy way of like you'd flipped it on its head instead of having your sole reliance on emotional regulation to come from this one single thing you had done and and by removing that one single thing out of your life you had then forced yourself to have a more natural and more human approach to emotional regulation which is to seek that emotional regulation from everything yeah not this one thing yeah and that's that's that was the un, that was amazing having you hearing you say that i've never heard it put like that that's extraordinary and then just by being present, just literally stopping the smell of the flowers can make you feel as, as, as good or maybe better yeah, than yeah. a hit of a Krispy Kreme. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think I, I can't ever recall stopping to smell a flower until that January when I was eating only potatoes and I walked past, I can't remember what kind of flower, it was a white flower. But, <laughs> but anyway, I, I do remember what it looked like, but I couldn't tell you what kind it was. But anyway, it was, I thought... That flower looks nice. I've never really thought about flowers looking nice. Well, obviously, I've thought about it, but, you know, it's not, yeah. not really thought about it. And then I wonder what it smells like. Go and smell it. And, wow, that smells really good. And, and that was literally, that was, that was it. And then I keep on walking. But it made a difference. Those little things made a difference and they all add up. And, uh, and yeah, that was really, uh, it changed everything. <laughs> when, you, uh, when you started this, you were... Well, you're six foot five. Yeah. When you when you started this, you were like over 150 kegs, weren't you? Yeah, 151.7 was. Uh, that was another thing. I didn't want to weigh myself. My wife was just all over this. I didn't want to weigh myself in the beginning. I just wanted to do it, and I was scared of the scales. And uh, and I, if I had to guess at the time, I would have guessed I was about 130. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, my wife said, "No, nah, get on the scales." That's you know, not because she wanted. She didn't want me to feel bad about what I weighed or anything. She just really wanted me to have a record of what I'd done. She's like, mm. you, if you get to the end of this year and you've eaten only potatoes, you need to be able to look back on it and be proud of what you've done. And, uh, and so, yeah, she said, get on it. And so I did. And it was at the end of day one. So maybe at the beginning I would have weighed more. I don't know. But anyway, so I weighed myself. I was 151.7 and I went and had a cry in the toilet. I can't believe I've got this fat, you know. And, uh, yeah, but... We, we kept going and yeah. <laughs> yeah how how soon i mean i mean i have i've done similar things like as i've kind of tackled my my body and over time um and i one of the things that i had to do was really look at my relationship to hunger and that hunger was um something that i was terrified of mm. and i would do anything to avoid it i would pull the car over and pull into a servo and grab two nut bars and a gatorade on my way to dinner <laughs> because I couldn't handle yeah. being hungry for half an hour. Yeah. You know, how how did your relationship to hunger change and those hunger signals, how did that change? Well, initially I I wanted to do everything I could to make this as simple as possible. I, I wanted to avoid hunger. That was one of my big rules was that we make our worst decisions when we're hungry. So at least initially I wanted to avoid hunger at all costs. So I always had potatoes with me everywhere I went. I never went anywhere without a big box of potatoes so that that excuse was out the window. I knew that if I was driving home from work after a bad day and I drove past McDonald's that, that I would have gone in and got myself some chips and, you know, it would have 
well, I would have maybe I wouldn't have done that, but at least the voice in my head would have been telling me to do it's that. It's a potato. <laughs> you can have it. <laughs> exactly. So uh, yeah, so I figured if I always had potatoes with me, then that those excuses would never be there. And I still battled with it. It still wasn't easy to just go. I'm not going to have the chips. I'm going to have this boring cold boiled potato instead. But at least I couldn't say, well, I'm too hungry. I can't wait till I get home. So yeah, at least initially I was totally avoiding hunger, just eating whenever I, as much as I wanted whenever I wanted to. Um, but yeah, as the year went on, I started getting more confident and I didn't have to have potatoes with me everywhere I went and I knew that I could go out and you know it's okay to be hungry and it's not going to kill me and I can just, if, if I haven't got potatoes with me and there's nowhere around that has potatoes, then I can just, it's okay, I can wait until I get home and it's fine. And you know, some days I would, not every day, but quite regularly I would I would just wake up and not feel like breakfast. So I would just not have breakfast and I would wait until lunch and you know, it was okay. I just got comfortable with it and it's yeah, it was it was strange because yeah, I was exactly like you described. I was just there's no way I'm gonna get hungry. It would I couldn't even you know, if we were having this conversation before my potato thing and I was hungry, all I would hear would be blah 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 food, blah 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 food. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't really take in much of what was going on. But yeah, yeah it's yeah, I'm, I'm okay with being hungry now. <laughs> when the or for people who are listening and and you know have a similar you know feeling around hunger, what would what would you say to to people what you've learned about hunger? Uh, that yeah, I don't know. I guess it, it's just it's okay. It's not going to kill you. You know, people have been hungry for since people were people we've been okay you know hunger's not killed anyone and and you know we live in a world these days where food is abundant it's like pretty much everywhere you look there's a restaurant or a cafe or a supermarket or at least advertising for food you know food's everywhere you're going to be fine it's not going to hurt you to have a little bit of time being hungry and you know just experiment with it give it a try and it's not it's not something like where i I think it's a good idea to just make yourself go hungry all the time. But, you know, being hungry is better than eating crap. It's, it's better for you for a whole variety of reasons. It's, you know, your body heals itself while you're hungry. Uh, but also, you know, so if you replace that, once you, when you're hungry, your body can work on things that are other than digestion. But also, so you're replacing that healing process with putting crap in that's hurting, you know, it's... Yeah, I don't necessarily think we should go hungry, but if, if you're choosing between eating crap and going hungry, then take hunger. That's it's good for you. <laughs> Better for you than so. What, what you what you're describing is that's where it's it's when we're not using all that energy on digestion. That's when um, the body goes. Mm, this cell's probably only working about forty percent capacity. Let's get rid of that one yeah. and let's grow a new cell in that space. Let's yeah, yeah. let's get about with the healing process of going on inside the body and 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 fixing and replacing and growing new. Yeah. Yes. And there's a lot of science on fasting, like fasting, drinking water only is there's a lot of science on amazing, incredible health benefits that you can get from fasting. So yeah, I think that's, that's really good. For a food addiction point of view, I wouldn't necessarily say fasting is a good idea. Maybe it'll work for some people, maybe it wouldn't, but for me, it wasn't the thing. But, but yeah, I guess the point is that going hungry for, you know, skipping lunch I don't necessarily think that's a great idea, but if your only if you if your only choice is McDonald's or KFC or something, then yeah, skip lunch. Just you'll be fine without it. <laughs> you know, you're mm. better off without it. In fact, yeah. Know? Well, it's that yeah. that that great line they teach the special forces: you can go three minutes without air, three days without water, uh, three weeks without food. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. that any any one of us walking around has yeah. usually got. I think it. What did Ruben say? We've probably got around about six. I think sixty thousand, thirty between thirty and sixty thousand um, calories on our body. And yeah. if you if you burn like you probably you're a bigger man than I, but I think I go through around around two eight to three three yeah. a day just existing. Yeah. All right. I've got a good ten days. 12, 15 yeah. days. <laughs> My body fat's pretty low at the moment, but you know, I could go 10 days, no problem. Yeah, yeah. No problem. I could go a week, yeah, no well, problem at all. I actually did. I have experimented since that. I've experimented a little bit with fasting, and a few weeks ago I did, or well, I attempted to do 10 days <laughs> but, uh, of, of going just on water only, and I got through four and a half. And uh, and I just decided to to end it there, be, just just because I got grumpy, really. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't feel like there was any health uh, consequences going on. I felt really good physically, but you know, I was just snapping at my boy, and I was like, no, this is not worth it. I'm, I'm, if I'm going to fast, I'm going to do it when I can be alone and not have to be a, a good dad and a good husband. I can just be an asshole to myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, uh, so yeah, but but physically, I felt great, but. Yeah, for yeah. on on the fifth day, I just was grumpy, so I started eating again. But yeah, I I think I just did it because I wanted to see what it was like. Because I visited this place called True North Health Center in in uh, California, where they do extended thirty to forty day water fasts, and uh, I didn't want to do that long on my own. I thought you'd be better off doing that with supervision. But I thought, yeah, just ten days. I'll just give ten days a try just to see what it was like. And yeah, it was it was very interesting. But again, yeah, I was I got so, grumpy. <laughs> Uh, look, I don't. I could I could talk to you all about that year. All right, I'd love to talk to you about that year. But what I'm really interested in what has happened since that year. All right, so the let, let's just kind of if we if we don't if you don't mind, can we? Because eventually you have to go back to living a, a life and not eating yeah. only potatoes. Eventually you have to go back to you know now I have to have a healthy relationship with you know with food and how do you how you build that so but let's just get to so 151.7 uh december 2016 what did you what did you end up uh 90 i can't remember the point but 95 point something uh so that's that's my body yeah yeah (laughs) that's a human i lost um i lost what my wife weighed at the time yeah That's extraordinary. Yeah. That mass, that amount of mass is yeah. extraordinary. Yeah, I was. A, I lost a lot more than it was. Weight is only a small part of it, though. You know, for me, it was good to lose weight, but to uh, to get to the point where I just did an Instagram post a few days ago, actually, because we uh, we had a little 40th birthday party for my wife, and uh, the week before, I was just talking with my son about what I was going to wear. And, uh, and I just got out and tried on some clothes and I said, I think I'll wear this. What do you reckon? He said, I want to wear that too. I'm like, okay, cool. So we actually went and got him some clothes and we wore the same thing. So he wore the same jacket, shirt and pants that I did. And, uh, and I, I took a little Instagram shot and said, isn't it cool? You know, my boy likes dressing like his dad. And then it only hit me the following day that a couple of years ago, I was terrified that my boy would end up like me. And then... Now, if he ends up like me, I think, well, good for you. I'm, I'm, a, I'm pretty happy with how my life is, and I'm pretty happy with who I am as a person. And you know, if you can, not, I don't think he has to. I don't want him to grow up and be exactly me. But if he can grow up and feel about himself the way I feel about myself, then that'd be great. I'd, I'd be happy for him. And 
I get this has only happened a few days ago, so I get still get shivers talking about it. But you know, that is worth so much more than losing weight. That's like, yeah, it's it's everything. <laughs> the very thing that spurned you to change. The very thing that you were like, I have to do this because kids, I've seen it time and time again with my students at school, kids end up like their parents. Yeah. I'm terrified that he'll end up like me. Yeah. And yet now, you're right. He, no matter what, the kid will end up like the parent. Yeah. But because you've made the change in yourself, what he is ending up like is something that's a lot healthier. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, it's everything. I'm really happy. Don't get me wrong. I'm really happy that I lost weight. It's been life changing. If if all I got out of the year was losing weight, that would have been great. But it's just it's so much more than that. Yeah. <laughs> so if people have you know, I mean, clearly, you're obviously you you as as your your health improved. I'm sure the doctor was high fiving you. You. I'm I'm going to assume that the, the depression started to lift and the mental health started yep. to figure itself out. Yeah, it's not. I still have bad days, but who doesn't? Everyone has bad days, and um, but I'm, I'm not just in that that endless funk sort of thing, you know. I'm, I hesitate to say it, but I I feel like that I don't have depression anymore, you know. No. It feels like a risky thing to say, but it's the way it is. So L- listen, it's, <laughs> you know? it's it's cold and rainy in Sydney today, and you know, a month ago it was beautiful and sunny. Mm. The price of having a beautiful and sunny day is having a cold and rainy day. Well, yeah, that's, yeah. That's that's what nature is. It's seasonal. Yeah. There's there's dark and light. There's there's awake and asleep. There's thirsty and and full. You know, that's it's everything that goes in cycles, man. Yeah. It's okay. It's part of being human. It's when that's a permanent state that's the issue. If the sun never rises, then maybe there's a problem here. All right, and it's it's okay. That's the what does Susan David say? She wrote a book called Emotional Agility. Um, the the price of having, you know, brilliant emotions is and, and joy and love is having sadness and heartbreak. That's the price. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. Yeah, that's that's when I have a bad day. These days, I just remind myself that yeah, tomorrow's not going to be the same, and, and you know, or maybe it will be, but most likely the day after that won't be and yeah I just I just know that that's not my life anymore you know Mm -hmm. if I had a bad well pretty much every day was a bad day before and I know there was no light at the end of the tunnel it was just my life is sadness it's just the way it is and I sort of got to the point where I accepted it because I just didn't know a way around it I was I'd stop fighting and stop looking for answers and I just okay I'm, I'm depressed that's the way it is and I just let's get on with life and you know suck it up move on but uh but now it's yeah it's just I can I'm okay with feeling sad it's sort of that's a I don't know if that's the right way to say it but yeah it's like if I'm having a bad day well that's okay people have bad days that's that's tomorrow's gonna be different let's just but that is <laughs> what, what you're saying is so transformative Andrew because being being okay with being sad is is one of the greatest strengths to have as as a, as a human. Like because rather than before, here's sadness. I'm going to do anything I can to avoid it. Mm. I'm going to buy something online. I'm going to gamble. Yeah. I'm going to drink. I'm going to eat. I'm going to smoke. I'm going to do something, anything, to avoid feeling this. All right. Mm. But to understand that I can have the capacity to feel this. And, and it's not going to be here forever and I'll be okay. It's like what you described before with hunger. Like 
okay, it's going to be all right. Like, yeah, it doesn't feel great, but I'll be all right. Yeah. And then, you know, like the tide, it passes. Yeah. Here I am on the other side. Yeah, this too shall pass. Yeah, that it's never a, a true word spoken. <laughs> realizing that, realizing that is, is, is that that's your superpower. That's Tony Stark hitting the button and the Iron Man suit coming on. Yeah. That's extraordinary, man. That, that's extraordinary. So what do your days look like now? Like how do you manage? Like for me, like I told you, like, you know, when it certainly came to drinking, I had to kind of replan my life a bit and, you know, there's strategies and tools in place around like say, for example, if I, you know, if I check into a hotel, um, if I haven't already called before when I check in, I'll say, oh, could you send room service up to just grab all the alcohol out of minibar, yeah. please? I haven't had a drink in eight years. I'm not going to have a drink. It's just nice to not have to constantly make that decision all day. Yeah. You know, it's nice to not be staring if, at tiny little bottles of vodka. Yeah, you'd have that little – it just it would be in the back of your mind that there's alcohol in the fridge. It's I, just I like imagine. I don't yeah, – yeah. you know, it, 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 it causes fatigue. I, I'm not going to touch it, but I just kind of end up kind of fatigued, just constant like, yes, no, I can't have it. No, I'm not going to have it. No, I know what happens when I have it. No, yeah. no, okay. it's not, I'm not going to do it. But come on, it's like you know a toddler. Why, why, yeah. why, why all day? That's what it's, that's what it's like. So I get yeah. it out of the room, and then yeah. it's just a day's easier. All right. What strategies do you now have in place to make sure that your relationship with food stays healthy? The main thing is just having healthy food around all the time. That's that's number one. Is because uh, early on in my year of potatoes, I came up with this plan where, like I said, I had potatoes with me all the time and quite a few times, or not quite a few, a handful of times in the beginning, I pulled into the McDonald's car park fully ready to go and get some chips. But I made this deal with myself where I would say, uh, it's okay, you can have the chips, you're allowed to have the chips, that's fine. But before you do that, we're going to fill up on potatoes. You're going to have eat as many as possible, eat as many potatoes as you can. And then once you've done that, then see what the craving's saying. And if you still want the chips, you can go and get them. So it, it never worked out that way, though. Once, I, once I'd filled up on plain boiled potatoes, the cravings for everything else were gone. So I still do that now. I still, not just with potatoes, though. I've got in my bag that's just behind me here, I've got seven mandarins, which I picked up this morning. Uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll walk around. Uh, probably around Sydney, I'll have see some sights today, and uh, and I'll always have my seven mandarins in my bag. And if something pops up that, hey, that bit of slice looks nice, I'll tell myself, well, maybe after I eat my mandarins, and I'll eat seven mandarins, and the cravings will go away, and everything will be good. And uh, yeah, that's that's my number one tactic. And uh, yeah, the others is uh, I read that poem I mentioned. If there's a really good poem, I have that in the notes in my phone, and you know, if, if a moment pops up where I feel that I want to do something I shouldn't, I'll just get the poem out and have a read, and it just centres me and uh, and makes me remember why I'm doing what I'm doing. And uh, yeah, that's really apart from that, it's just it's just about trying to be mindful of, like I described earlier, just trying to find goodness and joy in just what's around me all day, every day. And I don't, I don't really deal with cravings that much anymore. It's not like, it's not like it's a constant, like every time I see something bad, I want to eat it. I'm past that. But, you know, on the odd occasion, I do look at something and think, yeah, I want to, I want to have a, that cake or whatever. I used to then battle with that thought for days, you know, but now it's like I want to have that cake and then the very next thought is, no, you don't. That's just going to make you sad. It's like 
it's sort of it's really just I guess the crux of it is just logic and dealing with reality rather than you know there's that that voice in my head that spins all these lies and that voice used to be a big voice and now it's only a little voice and, and my, the voice of logic and reason is the big voice now and so yeah well, it's really that's what it's all about just seeing the reality of my choices play out before I make them you know for so when you through, through this process and much like your training you've trained that logic and reality voice to just be more powerful you've put strength behind it you've found that motivation that you used to see when you were kayaking and seeing that there's progress and that thing's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and you've made that that combative voice louder and louder and eventually you know the energy needle has shifted and the other voice like like mm. like i described you know yeah. it's, it's still there yeah you know it's still there but it's not as bad as it was yeah yeah i often talk about it like a muscle like talk about the the resi cravings resistance muscle and you know if you never use that muscle if you give in to your cravings all the time then the resistance muscle is going to be small and weak because it never gets used but just like if you if you start doing push-ups and you can only do one but you practice every day pretty soon you'll be able to do a hundred and it's and your muscles will get bigger and stronger not, not even a hundred <laughs> ten yeah whatever five you know yeah. if you can't do one push-up <laughs> and then in a month you can do ten that's 10 times more push-ups yeah. than you ever do. That's incredible. <laughs> if I said, here's $100, and in a month you'll have 1,000, you'd be stoked. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know it's, it's, it doesn't have to be nothing in, in a year. It can be like just today, just lunchtime, just dinner, just tomorrow, the, this weekend, you know? Yeah. And then when you, as your wife said, you turn around and look at where you were and you go, wow, okay, I've come – I've come a fair way. When when it comes to like you, so you plan a little bit around you know a travel day. So you plan. Do you because you mentioned about the decision making process? I'm interested in this, like a decision making when you're hungry. Do you, do you are you careful about when you make your decisions around food, and do you try to make them when you're not hungry? Yeah, well, basically, I've, I I eat these days what's called a whole food plant based diet, and. So, yeah, I don't eat any processed foods. I don't eat any junk foods. I don't eat oils or animal products or, uh, yeah, it's just basically I eat grains, beans, fruits and veggies and that's my rule. So my, my decisions on food are made. Like, that's it. That's what I eat and if it's not that, then I don't eat it. And, yeah, so there's not really that, – that reduces greatly the number of decisions I have to make on what I eat. Um, so – yeah, that's that's really makes it pretty simple. It's not as narrow as eating only potatoes, but I think the eating only potatoes was a big uh, a big learning step for me. And rather than just eating only potatoes for a year and then get, getting rid of rules entirely, I've I've kept a narrow focus and I've kept you know what made the potato diet successful for me was the very narrow focus and the strict rules. And I still have a narrow focus and strict rules. It's just the focus is not as narrow as it was. So, uh, but you yeah. still got to be careful. And you, could, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you could, you could. Oh, these potatoes are pretty good. You know, I'll make them better. Four tablespoons of olive oil yeah. in a frying pan. <laughs> That'll make it so much better. Yeah. Four tablespoons of olive oil is, you know, a half a day's worth of calories. Yeah, yeah. And and in the moment of eating them, it would make it better. There's, but, <laughs> but again, it's going back to that logic and reasoning that that yeah, the eating experience of, itself would be better. I'm not going to argue that, but, you know, 10 minutes later I'm going to be feeling guilty and I'm going to be feeling shame and I'm going to wish that I didn't do it. 
you know, an hour later, I'm, I'm going to be feeling the same. I'm going to be starting to feel like a failure. And, oh, shit, I've let everything slip again, all this, everything I've worked for, you know, what a loser. I'm going to probably have a bad sleep that night because I've eaten crappy food that doesn't digest well. And, you know, six months down the track, I'm going to have gained who knows how much weight and I'm, maybe the depression's back and all that. So really that's all it's about for me is just if I feel like making that decision, I'm understanding that it's not just in the moment of eating that is being affected. I've got this saying that uh, if you don't sacrifice for what you want, then what you want becomes your sacrifice. So that's really what it's about for me. It's, uh, I don't get to choose between sacrifice the donut or don't sacrifice it. The choice is sacrifice the donut or sacrifice my long-term health and happiness. And I always frame my decisions that way. It's not about do I want this or don't I? It's do I want this or do I want this other thing that's even better, you know? And when, the, when I frame my choices that way, it, it makes it an easy, easy decision. There's no, you know, is a donut worth my long-term health and happiness? Of course not. It's, it's silly. Why would I, you know, if I take the time, and I do take the time to frame my choices that way and understand what I would be giving up by taking that, you know, instant gratification, it's an easy choice. I could talk again. So <laughs> when we do episodes two and three of this conversation, <laughs> okay, episode two, I want to like, it's just episode two will be your experience in the education system in, you know, remote oh, Northern Territory. I could talk about that for hours too. <laughs> oh, I'm fascinated by, yeah. by that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, we, episode three will be you and me talking about whole food plant-based diets, yeah. uh, which are, you know, I've been living a long time and the health benefits alone are extraordinary yeah uh, certainly uh, you know for for someone who lived so terribly i ate basically i, I used to tell a mutual friend rich roll um i used to eat a window diet if i could drive up to the window and order the food from it i would eat it that's basically yeah. <laughs> what my diet I rolled down my window they'd open their window yeah. and i would eat the food that came through the window yeah. that was basically my window diet that's what i ate for many years and so you know undoing the damage on my body that that has had has you know leading this way has, has helped a lot yeah um so that'll be episode two and three so, yeah no worries. Uh, and don't worry i'll fly down to melbourne for that one yeah. um so let's talk now just just to try and leave people with you know somewhere to go if people have been listening to you talk and go that is how i am around cake or that is how around and donuts or i've had that moment with a pizza or you know people I mean, I, you know, certainly I've, I've choked up a few times as you've been talking because when you've been describing, you know, like it's, it's, you're describing my journey with alcohol and in many ways my journey with food as well because it's not, you know, it does leak out into other areas of yeah. my life, right? Drinking, gambling, shopping, whatever. It does. It's an ing. It does show up. If people have been resonating with what you're saying, what's this, what are some steps that they could take? Like if people have gone, shit, that is, that is me. Like, I mean, at one point I was, I mean, bear in mind I was on meds and I was down at track pants at one point. <laughs> so, oh my God, I'm running, out, I'm running out of clothes, right? Yeah. Um, but I was, I was on meds that were affecting my body. But um, if people are finding themselves resonating with what you've been saying, what, what What's the first thing they do once they put this podcast down? Oh, uh, well, if, yeah, if they want to check out my website, then, you know, I've, I've got a book that I've, I've written. Actually, I brought a copy of the book for you. Oh, it's cool, just, man. Thanks. Uh, it's just uh, it's called The DIY Spud Fit Challenge. You can get it on Amazon or at my website. It's just a short book of, uh, yeah, just if you want to do this potato-only thing and learn from it, then it's it'll tell you everything you need to know and... Yeah, I run a group, uh, an online group, and I've got an online course to help people uh, to do this for themselves as well. Um, but, yeah, again, everything I 
do or talk about is it's available for free as well. You can I've got a YouTube channel and you can just look through the videos and there's a lot of instructional stuff and there's just a lot of philosophical stuff on there and there's a lot of just silly stuff as well. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's the stuff that I do. If you want help from me, then you can go there. But really, the the number one thing I think is just to like I just described is that you know what is the true nature of sacrifice that's that's the number one thing that people need to understand that because I think people myself included when you think about making a life change of any kind the first thing you think about is well what am I going to miss out on you know for you I'm going to miss out on drinking with the boys I'm going to miss out on all those fun times and I'm sure there were fun times that you had drinking with your mates or whatever and probably that was one of the things you're worried about what am I going to do if I can't go out and party with my friends when you give up that you're not just giving up that, you're gaining something from giving up that. So, you know, if you don't sacrifice for what you want, then what you want becomes a sacrifice. So what are you actually willing to sacrifice? That's, that's the number one thing and it'll, uh, it'll grow from there. <laughs> but people might find themselves like in a desperate situation and not no, they may be in those uncontrollable moments. So, like, mm. the, there's like one, they might have two kids under two, you know, like they're just in these uncontrollable yeah, yeah. environments. Like, yeah, it's all well and good for you, pal, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm over here, you know, someone's away at work, you know, bringing money in. I'm here with these two screaming children. I've got, you know, I don't know what to do but eat, you know, yeah, yeah. fried stuff out of the freezer section that I've put in the microwave because yeah. that's all I've got time for. Like, if you're drowning in that kind of thing, like, what, what do you do? Yeah, it's a, it's a. I don't have the answers, mate. I just, yeah, I, I would just start with breakfast, I guess. Just see what what you can do for breakfast tomorrow. Try and get through breakfast, and if you do that, give yourself a pat on the back, and you know you did well. If you if you eat a healthy breakfast, that's great. Celebrate it, and if you can do it again for lunch, that's even better. But you know, just try to, I guess, celebrate the the positives that you make rather than getting down on yourself all the time for the negative choices. You know, we all make mistakes. Just don't ignore your mistakes, but try to focus more on the good things that you're doing and try to do more good things, I guess, is a, is a that was a, how I got through a whole year of eating only potatoes was I ate breakfast on January 1st and then, then I moved on to lunch, you know, and eventually the whole year was gone. So, <laughs> you know, I guess that's just start with breakfast tomorrow and don't, don't focus on the distant future. That's going to come whether you're whether you do good things between now and a year's time or not, the, the year's still going to pass. So, yeah, try and start with breakfast and go from there. <laughs> break it because it, does, it might seem completely overwhelming if someone's listening and they just go, this is, that is exactly me last night with the delivery man who showed yeah. up. I ate everything that they brought and I can't stop it. Just breaking it down into just one meal, just one meal. Yeah. And then if you do that, great, great. Good for you. Yeah, and I'm the same. Like that year, that was really genuinely scary for me before I started. That was a, what, I'm not going to have cake for a year? Like what am I going to do? This is, it was really, I was, I was scared. I didn't think I'd be able to do it. But I thought, well, I can have breakfast tomorrow. I can have potatoes for breakfast tomorrow. That's like, yeah, of course I can do that. So I did it. And then I did the same thing for lunch. And then, yeah, meal by meal, the year passed. And <laughs> yeah. That's, that's that's it. And now you have this this life that you've created that is extraordinary. Yeah, well, yeah, I get to I get to spend my days helping people do what I've done. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got a short book that I like. I said I got for you. I'm working on another book. I got 
all sorts of ideas for books. I've got this group where I'm, you know, every day I get emails from people thanking me that you know, their life, they've changed their life, they've got off medication, they're no longer diabetic, they're, they're, you know, they, they've lost 50 kilos, whatever. I get, I get these emails every day. Like, what could be a better way to start your day than opening up your emails and having people thanking you? Like, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> Mate, I'm so, so grateful you came today. Thank you so much for making the effort, making the journey. Uh, we had to reschedule this a bunch of times, so I'm just so good. thrilled that you made it. No, I, I'm too. I've, I've loved this. I've had a, had a great chat. I always like having a, having a good chat with a, with a good person. <laughs> what, could, what could be a better way to spend your time? <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to take your photo real quick, all right? Yeah, great. Cool. Right, Thanks, I, I need a hug too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a hug. <laughs> That was Andrew Taylor. You can find him on Instagram at spudfit or go to his website, spudfit.com, S-P-U-D-F-I-T. Plenty more info about him, about what he's up to, what he can what he can teach you from what he's learned in his life so far. Thank you so, so much for listening. Thanks to everybody that helped make this show today. Uh, Rachel Barrett, my producer, Andy Ma, my audio producer, Mike Mills, also known as Toe Hider on the music, who will be with us in Brisbane February 8th at the Powerhouse Tickets at osherginsburg.com. Uh, and you, thank you so much for listening. Without you, there is no show. No show at all. It is good to be back for 2019. Let's make it a cracking one. <sighs> Thank you so much for listening. Until we speak next week, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code GLOW.